2: guys welcome to uh, another episode of conversations with jeff uh, as, as you guys know the last few days and for the for the next several days we're actually doing a continued series uh with uh focusing on each chapter from the book Church and State, how the left used the church to conquer America. Uh each episode. I'm having the author of the chapter on and we're diving deep into these issues. Um and and especially the main focus of this book really is to is to understand what's actually happening, how the left is infiltrating uh the church, how and, and as well as the fact of how they're actually trying to conquer America by doing so. So it's a fascinating uh topic uh uh the book is the book is fascinating as well uh so if you guys would be interested in ordering that book go to gatekeepersonline.com slash church and state uh definitely check that out great lineup of contributing authors including pastor greg Locke, dr michael brown denise mcallister uh as well as uh tonight's guest uh dr bobby lopez uh bobby welcome to conversations with jeff glad we could sit on chat and but also thank you for for participating in this book i really appreciate it and really appreciate your chapter
1: well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Every time I get a chance to talk about education, I just jump out of bed with all of my joy. So,
2: <laughs> well, you know, and I think, and I think that's the, that's yeah. the thing is, you know, and one of the reasons why I really appreciate your chapter uh, in the book specifically, and and so that, that for everybody that um, you know that hasn't read it yet, it's called uh, the rot at, the rot in, in the seminaries. And the and the thing is is about this chapter. A lot of conservatives and a lot of Christians. Obviously, have been talking about the problem in in the education system for quite a while, but I feel like a lot of times they don't talk about the details and they don't often offer they don't often offer a solution. And I think you did a good job of really diving into this to where people can understand it, understand what needs to change, and that sort of thing. So I want to give you an opportunity just right off the get go to kind of explain what is the problem right now with the Christ, even the Christian education system.
1: Well, I say that the Christian education system is an outgrowth of the problems in the secular college uh, problem, you know, the, the secular colleges. And that really is a very understandable trend, because colleges are based on the Oxford and Cambridge model of education, which was a monastic Christian model. What happened to colleges in general was that they began as a Christian enterprise, and because they functioned with the assumption that everyone in it shared a certain commitment to God and they took vows of poverty and obedience and chastity, universities and university faculty were given certain privileges that other industries didn't have, things like tenure, things like the fact that you could charge people tuition and you didn't really have to justify spending lots of money on stuff right? You didn't come under the same scrutiny. But then, of course, God fell out of that. And so universities became this weird secular mafia that had all of the privileges of a priesthood, but they didn't believe in God, right? So that was the problem in the secular colleges. And then the problem in seminaries is that seminaries are fundamentally colleges. They get accredited, they get post-secondary status, they grant degrees under that system, they participate in the same scholarly associations as all of those corrupted secular colleges. And so what I did in that chapter was I traced, here's what's wrong with the secular colleges. And in particular, what I wanted to talk about was Why is it that conservatives complain about this more and more every year and the problem gets worse and worse and nothing ever changes? There's a million things you could point to. You could get lofty and talk about people uh, losing their Aristotelian sensibilities or you could get really global and talk about the, the, the cultural rot that's affecting everyone and Britney Spears videos making everybody stupid or whatever. But I tried to focus on one specific thing, which is that Conservatives, every time they complained about the problem in education, they always avoided the labor discrimination issue. And I think that is the fundamental problem. The problem is that there is a pattern of discrimination and persecution against conservatives, which reveals itself in the labor practices of academia. Academia is given a lot of discretion. It's given the ability to police itself and to regulate itself. And that creates an old boys network of people who all share the same upbringing and the same sensibilities. And we see how racial discrimination often results from that kind of environment. Well, guess what? Conservatives are experiencing a very similar pattern to racial discrimination. And conservatives get really uncomfortable when you talk about this because conservatives – they like their free market theory, they don't like to be on the side of labor, they don't want to sound like the liberals, they don't want to sound like Marxists and complaining about oppression, or uh, they don't want to be a victim group, etc. But that's, that's the reality, dems to breaks, okay? If you're a conservative, you are a minority that is going to be discriminated against on the faculty. And until you address that, all of your other efforts are going to fail, so, and I talk about all the other things that conservatives tried to focus on. They tried to talk about guest speakers, they tried to create little parallel institutions, et cetera. But none of it works if you don't first tackle the discrimination pattern that is going on uh, as a labor practice.
2: Yeah. And that, and that makes sense, too. And especially how uh, it seems like, you know, it seems like dealing with labor practices, like you were saying, it's kind of like one of those things. I don't know if conservatives necessarily know how to approach it, because a lot of times we talk about, you know, like mm-hmm. the, you know, capitalism and freedom of businesses and organizations to hire and fire people as they wish. Um, but right. then but then we see essentially the establishment and the elites are using that kind of mentality to their advantage and using, using it against us. And then I think we're then like, okay, so what, what do we do now? How do we respond to this and mm-hmm. still promote capitalism? I think is what is going through everybody's mind.
1: Well, I think they have to be comfortable with parts of American history where we saw that the government intervened when there were areas that didn't have clarity directly from the constitution, but they saw social problems. So the antitrust legislation of the 1890s and the early 1900s, they saw that there was a problem that you can't just let that go on and on and on of having the concentration of all this power and these monopolies. Things like the RICO, law that you get from the 60s and 70s when they saw that organized crime had all these loopholes where they could move their money around and pretend that it was all legal find a couple front businesses to launder their money and there was no way for uh, the police with the existing law to be able to crack down on them so they created a law that took away those loopholes right i think it's a similar thing here conservatives are very uncomfortable when I talk this way. Uh, But this is the key. This is the reason that this goes nowhere when conservatives complain about what's going on in the colleges. We see what's happening with the big tech companies and it's the same thing. We all love to talk about free market capitalism and the government shouldn't go in and regulate what Twitter and Facebook do. But let's face it, we can't just continue to let Twitter and Facebook openly plug Joe Biden for president and still receive immunity from Congress, by the way, similar to what happens with the colleges. They get immunity from the government because supposedly they're working in the public interest and they're just a platform. They're not actually a publisher. So they can't get sued by people. Uh, But at the same time, they're uh, eliminating, they're suppressing and censoring articles that are factual and that are important and relevant to Joe Biden. Well, you can't just continue to let that happen. At some point, you've got to say, okay, I have my free market philosophy, but we've got to find some form of intervention. And maybe I just have to let go of the pure form of that to deal with this. What I always hear from from conservatives is they they say, oh, but the liberals are going to use that against us. Uh, But uh, come on, they're using everything against you. Anyway, uh, you know, so what ends up happening is in the academy, the way that you become a professor is you have to get your PhD, you have to get your MA, pass your oral exams, write a dissertation, defend your dissertation, go on the job market, get an assistant professorship, get tenure, then get promoted to full professor, and all along the way you have to get published – The standards are not very concrete at any step along this journey. There's always a great deal of subjectivity, and it's always people who are at the next rank above you deciding based on their own discretion – whether or not you can be admitted up to the next level. So it's, it's a system that is ripe for discrimination. It's all, already an unfair labor practice because uh, most people who are scholars and who teach are not on tenure track, they're, they're on adjunct lines, they live very unstable lives, they can barely afford to pay their rent or their mortgage because they get paid per class and they have no job security and they often have no benefits. So it's a labor issue. The way that Trump has dealt with this in recent weeks, I applaud the fact that he's talking about education because Republicans very often just tell everyone to go to homeschool and then they call it a day. But on on the other hand, Trump is still repeating many of these same problems. What he's trying to do is in one, he's talking about religious liberty. And so what he's doing is he's giving Christian colleges and institutions even more immunity, even more uh, uh, protections from government scrutiny or from lawsuits, this is a terrible thing to do because Christian colleges, as I told you, they're hooked into the whole scholarly system, and they're doing just as much canceling and just as much blacklisting as the secular organizations are. So you have Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, which fired me because they they were worried about my criticisms of sex abuse in the gay community. I mean, it was a Christian They're the ones who canceled me. The direction that Trump is going in is going to give an organization like that even more immunity from any kind of criticism or intervention. This is going to make everything much worse because the left has already infiltrated the Christian organizations, as your book uh, points out. And then the next thing he did was to create this commission to try to create curriculum to tell people to teach kids how to be more patriotic. This is also uh, not going to work because if you don't have conservative faculty in any of those positions, you can give them all the curriculum they want. It's not going to translate into a classroom experience where students get conservative values. It's not going to happen, right? Yeah. And until you can actually dismantle The discriminatory system that controls K through 12 and then the the upper higher education, your your conservatives are going to find themselves every year. There's fewer and fewer conservatives. The ones that are there come under such blistering attack. You can have a a department where there's 112 faculty members, there's one conservative, and that person will be the one who gets all of the negative attention, all of the pressure, the petitions, the coverage in Inside Higher Education, uh, the coverage in Chronicle of Higher Education, and then they'll be brought up on charges and they'll be driven out. And the other 111 will get maybe minor pressure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, it's, and it seems like the thing that we have to be aware with all of this is is not only is there is this you know really an abusive system, they're using it against conservatives, but it's also making it to where to where they they have complete control over the minds of the students uh, without Absolutely. opposing views. And I think that that's the really dangerous aspect of it is that right now we don't have a whole lot of recourse in order to reclaim these seminaries that are like, for example, Southwestern supposed to be a very conservative seminary it's training pastors training people to go into ministry training training our future leaders within the church but then they're getting pushed further and further to the left and there's not really a whole lot that we can do about it
1: right you can't because the system of education the the governance framework it came from ecclesiology it came from an ecclesiastical framework so it's it's functions like a priesthood So if you're not part of the priesthood, you don't really have any rights. Even if you're the the parent who's going in debt and selling your house to pay for your kid to go to four years of college, you still don't count. You don't have any power. And if you play by the rules, which is what people like Robert George have always told young conservative scholars, play by the rules be patient, you know. be very compromising and gracious, and go to lunch with people and try to find common ground. If you do that, you're going to be just quietly shown the door, and no one will even know that you passed through that institution, because liberals don't want you there. When they find out that you're conservative, they really do have animus towards you. They're hostile. They don't want you talking to the students. They don't want you doing research and getting published, because they hate your viewpoints, and they don't want your viewpoints to be given any respect, because In their mind, that will harm them if there are people who start to think the way that you do. And that's why you see the masks coming off right and left in the academy once Donald Trump got elected, because they view it as, oh, we're contributing to another event like Donald Trump's election if we let any conservative viewpoints receive any respect anywhere. So in the educational environment, they're not just – trying to keep you out of the classroom and keep you away from students. They want to make sure that you don't have those three letters after your name, that you don't get on TV, that you don't get published. They want to make sure that no one will invite you to speak anywhere. They want your view to be erased because they hate you because of your views. And they hate your views. And it's not neutral. It's not objective. They want to erase your views the way that Twitter just erased all of the articles that the New York Post published about Hunter Biden. Right? They just erased them. But by fiat, they just said we can do this, right? That higher education has been doing that for years. And we have the only way to fix that, honestly, is to have some kind of regulatory framework where the government says, Okay, to the extent that we have any leverage over you, you have to change this or We're going to exercise the levers of power. So that means we may strip you of accreditation. We may make it so that students can't go to your institution with government-backed student loans. You may be denied grants. You may lose your tax exemptions. You have to play hardball, okay? You can't just have another conference and, and beg for them to listen to you. You can't try to change their minds. That's not going to work.
2: Yeah, yeah, Well, and, and so, so then you know, because I know you, you ta- you're talking about like the 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 government coming in and, and doing stuff. And again, conservatives oftentimes they get afraid of that, and it's like they don't, they don't, yeah, they don't they want know. to encourage that. But but then from the other side, I think I think there's a lot of enabling happening from the church side of things as well, and, and a lot of excuses mm-hmm. are made. And I think one of those things too about like even like southwestern and some of these other Southern Baptist uh, seminaries is a lot of times we we look and we're like, well, you got you got Al Mohler. He's like a conservative, you know, uh, evangelical leader and all that kind of stuff. He would never allow, like, I can't tell you how many people have told me that. He would never allow that to happen mm-hmm. at any of his seminaries or, you know, things like that. But mm-hmm. at what point is, is the church complicit in a lot of this kind of stuff as well?
1: The church is very much complicit to the extent that they're... Giving leadership positions to people who come out of the seminaries and they're letting the seminaries be completely governed by the accreditation standards of the secular educational system. So let's say a place like Yale Divinity School, which I keep on running across. Uh, churches that are so proud that they have someone who graduated from Yale Divinity School. Okay, if you went to Yale Divinity School, you were going to a school that is basically under the governance structure of Yale. It's not really under the governance structure of a church. So a professor at Yale Divinity School, when they go up for tenure, they're going to be evaluated by the Divinity School, and then they go and they get evaluated by the Provost, and then they get evaluated by the President. You know, so. Once it gets out of the Divinity School and you're being evaluated by the people from Yale as a whole, forget it. If you're going to be, you know, anti-gay marriage or you're going to be pro-life, you ain't going to make it. You're going to be gone. So somebody who went to Yale Divinity School basically went to Yale. You can just drop the Divinity (laughs) School part of it. But the church is still so in love with these titles. And so what they've done is they people, leadership positions um, who have those degrees, which are glittering and glorious, uh, and they want their faculty to go and present at the National Association of Evangelicals or the American Academy of Religion, which is even worse, or the Society of Biblical Literature. So they want them to go to those associations. And then they go to those associations where the officers come from all of the secular uh, theology or religious studies departments. They sit on panels that are chaired by people who are liberals, who are from those secular departments, who probably don't even believe in God in many cases. And so it, it's, it was a way for all of that pressure to corrupt the churches because the pastor, the priest, the reverend, whatever your denomination calls, that leader, the, the person who tends to the flock, uh, that person is going to be getting their degree, their ordination, their training at one of these schools. Now, it used to be that there were some seminaries that were uh, immune to all of that, but th- those days are over. Uh, I mean, look what happened at Southwestern. It was inst- almost instantaneous once Paige Patterson was gone. Everything moved uh, towards conforming to the the broader standards of academia. And every single department I have ever served in, Jeff, I I worked at Rutgers, I worked at a Catholic college, I worked at a California State University, and I worked at a seminary. In every single college where I was at, what people talked about was assessment. Everything was about figuring out some mathematical formula to show accreditors that you were doing a good job. So everything was about becoming a materialistically uh, proven Producer, you know, everything became about uh, these really uh, arbitrary standards of, of performance, and and all of the discussion was always about our professors have to publish more. They were constantly pressuring you about publications, and it was always that was always a point of contention because they never wanted you to publish just anywhere. It had to be in blue ribbon respected journals that had an editor in chief who was from Stanford or Princeton or you know Amherst College and those publications at the same time were dwindling they were reducing in number and then the number of people with PhDs was increasing so it was an impossible game you were strangled from every side and so it was a system where if they want to weed you out they can it doesn't i don't care who you are they can find a way to weed you out because you'll never have enough blue ribbon Peer-reviewed publications for them. You will never have good enough student evaluations. They can always find someone to file a complaint against you, and then they'll be protected by confidentiality. You'll never really even know what the heck this complaint was dealing with. So anyone can be removed. It's it's a it's an almost Soviet system where they say, "Show me the man, and I'll show you the crime."
2: Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and I think and I think the the danger in all of this is that, like you were saying, the churches are taking these seminary grads. And putting them in, in leadership after they've been essentially indoctrinated by a lot of this leftist uh, ideology and even leftist theology. And, mm-hmm. and, and at a certain point, we can't act surprised that the church is falling to the left when the seminaries are where they learned it all, even though we're sending them to these seminaries to learn how to preach the word, and they're coming back as, you know, indoctrinated by the left.
1: Yeah. And I think conservatives for years, there were so many iterations of failed responses to this. One of them was, well, we'll just homeschool or we'll create little private Christian schools. At some point, you have to staff the private Christian schools. So then you're putting a job ad and you're going to get applicants who are from the same old general pool that staff all the other schools. So that's going to fall really quickly. Anytime you have uh, homeschooling situations, you're going to have to generally find homeschooling publishing materials, and so the left has already targeted all of the homeschooling publishers to get that stuff in there, and then you're going to have to get tested when they finish, and then they're going to go to college. And a lot of conservatives just automatically assumed that if I raised my child in a really good Christian environment and I made sure that they only hung out with good Christian people, that they'll go to college and they won't get corrupted – uh, and a lot of Christians just believed that it couldn't continue to get worse and worse and worse. They thought every year from 1999 until 2019, the years that I was in higher ed, conservatives always said, well, it has to turn around at some point. No, it doesn't turn around. You can eliminate every single conservative from every single department. The students are not gonna rise up and revolt on your behalf. Uh, there's, the public is not gonna come to your rescue. Congress is not gonna have hearings to protect you because they don't really care about the conservative faculty. It's just something that they have never put their focus on. So this could get to absolute zero where basically there are no conservative professors Anywhere in any educational institution, right, left, Christian, secular, at all. Uh, And that could very easily happen. And, you know, I saw this with Dinesh D'Souza in the 90s, with David Horowitz in the 2000s, and then with Ben Shapiro and Charlie Kirk in the 2010s. You have these leaders who really make liberal bias in education a massive issue, and then their efforts come to nothing. They end up enriching themselves. They sell lots of books, but the actual things going on on campus – get worse and worse and worse. Uh, the, one of the worst things that I saw this year was, I think it was Lehigh University, it was a university in the Northeast that put out a statement that said, we care about everyone, black lives matter, conservatives matter to us, Christians matter, liberals, and the students got outraged and they had to eliminate conservatives from that list. That, that's what happens when you don't have any conservatives on the faculty, you've erased uh, you know, a huge part of it and that's gonna affect what gets published who gets credentialed, what gets out there. The journalism schools, for instance, the reason why everything's so lousy is because the journalism schools are so lopsided. So all of the people who end up in the press rooms writing the articles and giving commentary are all, they're warped, they're demented.
2: Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that's where I appreciate the fact that, that you, during your chapter, you, you discuss the problem with, with uh, the Ben Shapiro's And in that mentality, as well as the Charlie Kirk, because I think, you know, obviously, to the majority of conservatives, we look at them as like our heroes, they're taking on they're taking on the system and all that kind of stuff. But but I think a lot of that we have to understand a lot of the stuff that we see on TV or see in YouTube videos, or whatever it is, to a certain degree, it is for show. But what are they actually accomplishing? And we see that in politics, Democrats, Republicans, they always find a way to fight, but then they never offer an actual solution. And I feel like, to a certain degree, I think what you're talking about here is the same kind of thing, is we're seeing the posturing, so at least there's maybe some awareness of the problem, but nobody's actually coming out with solutions to fix the problem because maybe, and this is me talking, I'm not putting this on you, but maybe because if you fix the problem, then they don't have a job and you are taken away their income.
1: Right, and, well, that's a major, it's a major part of it. The, the cottage industry of complaining about liberals in education has gone on for 70 years god and man at yale was published in 1951 by william f buckley and that is you just named it exactly what happens is that um You can always get an audience when you talk about this, because there's always students who are frustrated with the rules on campus. There's always students who are mad at their teachers and mad at people who tell them that they can't dress up like a Mexican for Halloween or something like that. And you'll be able to get a bunch of people who will come and scream and hold up placards. And but are they really getting conservative values? No, because what are they getting in the classroom? Guest speakers don't matter. Articles on campus reform or in the National Review or even YouTubers, they're not going to move the needle at all. Um, and often you know, somebody like Ben Shapiro, although people think that he's extremely intelligent, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is he didn't have the academic training that you would need to be able to teach a class, When you're teaching a group of students a class, you have them for 14 weeks. You meet several times a week. You read three, four papers that the student writes. You get to know how the student thinks. You interact with them. That's not the same thing as Ann Coulter coming and giving a speech at UC Berkeley and then leaving and then having people write about the riots that took place when she tried to speak. It really is a lot of theater, and I think after a certain point, we're all aware of the bias. We all know about the problems with free speech being eroded. Or if you don't know, it's because you're never going to know because you actually agree with the cancelers. Right. So this is now all it is, is it's draining resources and uh, supplies and support away from people who actually want to get conservatives on the faculty. And the, the best example is when Congress actually had hearings about free speech on college campuses in 2017, and they brought in Ben Shapiro to speak. And then they had uh, Robert George come and give a discussion in front of Congress. Robert George is never going to lose his job. He's like tenured at Harvard. I mean, he's so polite, and he he's buddy-buddy with all of the progressives. I mean, there's only like room for one or two of those in the entire system, right? So they didn't really get at any of The issue of what conservative faculty face when they're actually trying to stay in their jobs. And you see that that conservative organizations like Alliance Defending Freedom, they're not necessarily going to race to help you if you're a conservative being driven out of your job. It's risky to take on a fight and to defend a conservative professor who's come under attack because – uh, when you're a professor and you're coming under attack, you've had thousands of students. They can come up with tons of things to blame you for. There's always something that you've said that's a little bit off color, and so conservative organizations don't want to be caught out there defending someone who's embarrassed, you know, or or embarrassing them. So they're often they're not they're not going to help you, and instead they're going to go run and help Charlie Kirk. They're going to they're going to help the little old lady who didn't want to make a, ba- a, a, a cake for a lesbian wedding somewhere in Oregon or something like that, uh, because they want really high profile, charming, wholesome poster cases uh, for religious liberty. And they, they're not necessarily going to help you. Also, a lot of the conservatives who get fired, uh, they can't make a case that it was about religion. If you're somebody who wrote about the Second Amendment and why people should have the right to bear arms, can you actually go to a Christian legal defense organization and say, this was a case of them discriminating against me because of my deeply held religious beliefs? That doesn't work, you see? And so you're not going to get help from them. Private lawyers are going to charge you a fortune and probably won't win. And, they're, and you know, universities, they have lots of friends wherever they are because they have lots of alumni. They have people in the state legislature. You're not going to win most cases against a university. So this is something – this is my plug to you. This is something that needs federal intervention. I don't want to hear about state – let the states do it themselves. The left already took over all the states, Okay. I don't want to hear about how we just need to come up with alternatives. We've already done that. They've taken it over. You need to have a presidential commission.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and especially, too, with how much federal funding – is going into mm-hmm. this uh, that that that's a whole that's a whole other ball game as well. I th- I think for me, you know, I think I think your chapter does a very good job of of exposing the problem. Um, I th- I think if anybody you know reads the chapter, they walk away from it, they understand just how corruptive a system it is. And I mm-hmm. think that a lot of times within Christianity, and I've experienced this you know myself, like when I'll disagree with somebody. They'll put me down because I don't have the same letters after, after, um, my name that they do. I don't have the same degrees. I don't have the same qualifications. But then you look at where did they go to school? Where did they learn this weird lefty ideology? It's, it's in these seminaries that they're bragging mm-hmm. about having. And this, this is the problem that I think this within the church, we put so much emphasis on these degrees that in and of themselves were just ideological, um, you know, brainwashing to a certain degree. But I don't want to take away the value of it if it's done right.
1: Right. Well, I think that there are values to getting a PhD. I, I loved being in graduate school. I went to a very liberal program. I went to the same program as Karen Swallow Prior. <laughs> we went to the same grad school. Um, I-, I, knew- I was one of her classmates. Uh, it was a very liberal department, extremely liberal. I had a very liberal committee. Like these – Professors that I love dearly, they will not return my phone calls at this point because I went conservative. So they, you know, they, they, they don't want to come near me. But there are so many good things you get from that level of study and from that level of focus. And especially if you have good professors who just really care about the material and who, who aren't self centered or self promoting or ideologically blindfolded, you know, all of those things can be a problem. But there's a lot of value to dedicating yourself at, at that level. And, if you can get to the point where you have a committee and they're going to look at your dissertation, you get the dissertation done, get out of there. Don't, don't try to win a lot of battles at that stage because you just want your PhD so you can go out and do things in the world. I think it is still a valuable endeavor, uh, but I think that the system that goes along with it is corrupt and we have to be able to, to tackle the system. That's why I don't want to tell people just don't get PhDs or disregard people with PhDs, I think the question is you've got to look at the labor system of where people end up working after they have PhDs, and they're funneled into these uh, professions, into these work environments where there's a lot of discrimination, and that's really what the name of the game is. There has to be some kind of intervention to basically tell colleges, look, if you discriminate, if you engage in unfair labor practices... We have determined that this has a negative effect on the society as a whole. As an institution of higher education, you have never been treated as a private company. You've always been treated as a public good. You are educating the public, and so you have tax exemptions based on that, on being a nonprofit institution working for the public good. So we're going to strip away your immunities, your exemptions, your funding, your grants, your accreditation, Because we have standards and we're going to hold you to those standards. I don't think it's that hard. But for some reason, I talk this way and conservatives, I don't know, they they just they they want to go back to just, you know, complaining or or talking about Edmund Burke. They just love to talk about Edmund Burke, um, you know, and and nothing changes.
2: Yeah, no, it's true. So so the thing is, is that I highly encourage everybody to get the book. Uh, read the chapter, uh, you know, the rot, the rot in the seminaries. Let me tell you guys something. It's, it's a, it's a deep dive, goes into the issues, like everything. Is um, everything is cited? Every, everything is based in reality. But the thing is, we have to understand the problem if we're going to come up with a solution. And so, I think that we, as the church, we need to understand what's actually happening at the seminary, so that way we can figure out, okay, where do we go from here? Um, so, but yeah, Bobby, I really appreciate you coming on again. I really appreciate uh, your participation in the book. It, it, again, great chapter. Highly encourage everybody to read that. But again, I really, really appreciate your involvement in this. Thank you. Uh, of course, and then everybody else as well. Again, if, if you are interested uh, in getting this book, highly, highly encourage you to do it. Go to gatekeepersonline.com slash church and state. Use the code BOBBY at checkout. You will get 10% off of the book uh, w- when you order it there, as well as you'll get a free copy of Pastor Sam Jones' ebook, Why I'm Pro Life. Um, so definitely uh, check that out. Again, gatekeepersonline.com slash church and state. And we'll catch you guys next time.